Well, hello there, wonderful teachers. I want to invite you to an event we're doing this summer. It's in Cincinnati, Ohio, so you have to be able to make it there, but it might be worth traveling for if you're able to. It's happening on July 20th and 21st, so that's over a weekend, and it's going to be the best two days for teachers. We're going to have a ton of fun. We're going to learn a lot about pedagogy and creative teaching and business. We have two fabulous guest speakers and we're even going to finish with an optional Kaylee. That's an Irish dancing party. So I hope you'll be able to join me. Just go to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo that's dot com slash t-u-r-b-o 24 the numbers two four. I hope you'll check it out view all the details there and I hope to see you in Cincinnati in July. On with the episode. Vibrant, vibrant, vibrant music teaching. Proven and practical tips, strategies, and ideas for music teachers. This is episode 108 of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I'm Nicola Canton. This episode is part of our Vibrant Music Studio 101 series, and this building block is called Open. Welcome back to the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. If this is your very first episode of the podcast, you're very welcome, but I would encourage you to go back to number 101 as a better starting spot. We're in the middle, just over the halfway mark of this particular set of 10 episodes, which are a foundational series all about 10 words that I believe should be used to represent music studios around the world, that every music studio should strive to have represent them. So they're building block episodes and they start at episode 101. So if you go back to vibrantmusicteaching.com slash 101 or just scroll back in your podcast player and start there, that's going to be a better spot for you. Now, if you're following along with me, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Today, we're talking about the word open. So what does it mean to have an open studio? I'm not actually talking about keeping your studio open to all different, you know, learning differences and nationalities or anything like that here, although that's one interpretation. What I'm talking about here is the phrase that I often use about opening every door to my studio students. I want my studio to be a place that's open to all different musical styles and all different aspects of music making as much as possible. I strive to make my studio a place that makes students, musicians, who are jacks of all trades, or Janes of all trades, right? You know the phrase, jack of all trades, master of none? It's normally a negative, it's not for me. I want that. I want to expose my students to as many different avenues, as many different doors, as possible, so that they have a relative level of proficiency in every area, enough that they're able to walk through the door, that no door is hidden from them and no door is locked to them. This means that down the track, they can open the door fully and walk all the way through it and master that skill and that one area. Or they can continue to dabble and have fun with all different areas. It's up to them. But if I don't do it that way, If I take the opposite approach and I only show them the doors of classical music and reading 
as was done in maybe traditional lessons, as was certainly done in my lessons, chances are they're not going to even know the other doors are there. It's not even about having the skills to be able to unlock those doors. They don't even see them. And I think that's tragic. I don't think that's fair to them. And I don't believe that's the right approach for most studios. Now, if you're a specialist studio, this is a different story for you, right? If you're trying to create amazing performers who win competitions, fantastic, more power to you. If you're trying to correct technique with students who have been taught poor technique, that's a very specific niche again. But for most of us, what we're trying to be is generalists, really. We're trying to get create musicians who are generalists. And I think we need to embrace that identity and understand what we're doing and embody it fully. Don't be sort of supposed to be a generalist, but actually you're not letting students see the world of improvisation or see that they can compose their own music or know what a lead sheet is. That's just halfway there and nowhere at all. I want my studio to be open and I want you to consider making your studio open to all different genres, to all different styles of music making, so that your students never feel like many of us did. Perhaps in your own studies you were nervous of improvisation, perhaps you still are. Maybe you believed that improvisation was exclusively for jazz pianists, for people with specialist jazz training. That's certainly what I thought until I was about 19 years old, which is ridiculous having started lessons at age seven, but that is what I thought. I didn't really realize it could be used in other contexts. I didn't really realize it could be used without training, which is ludicrous because basically improvisation is just experimenting with things. Now there's a lot more to it than that and there's skills that can be developed. I'm not denying the skill involved, but at its core it's a simple concept. Why would I think that it wasn't for me or it wasn't for everyone? We also want to avoid the situation where our students are afraid to bring certain genres of music into their lessons for fear of our reaction. If we exclusively teach classical music, even if we don't explicitly say that that's what we're doing, if we only expose our students to classical music in their lessons, they're going to think that the music they listen to outside of lessons, which is probably not Beethoven, is less than in our eyes. That it's not as good. That it's not worthy somehow. That it doesn't pass some test. And maybe it doesn't pass your test. Maybe you hate it. But that doesn't mean that you should pass judgment on it. It's someone else's favorite music. And so if we don't introduce at least a sprinkling of pop or a sprinkling of jazzy pieces even, right? Never mind actual jazz. Bits and pieces in a wide variety of genres. If we don't do that, we can end up with students like one of my own students. She was a transfer, which is to say... Hopefully she didn't get these ideas from me. But at one stage, she and her mum came up to the door for lessons together. Her mum came up to drop her off. And that doesn't normally happen. She was already age nine or ten at the time. And so she would normally walk up to the door from the car by herself. But her mum came up with her and she said, let's call the student Jane, since we were talking about a Jane of all trades earlier. So Jane's mum said to me, oh, Jane has something 
a piece that she really wants to learn. Is that possible? Is it all right if she shows it to you? And I said, yeah, absolutely. What is it? You know, <laughs> great. Someone brings me some music they want to learn. I think that's fantastic. I don't really care if, yes, it might be the wrong level. It might, I might need to do some adapting, but I'm excited because they're excited about that music. That's my go-to reaction. And so that was my reaction there. But Jane's mum later told me, after I'd started on this piece with Jane and we'd been working on it together, that Jane had had that piece in her bag, in her piano folder that she brings to lessons without me realising, for a month. And the reason her mum walked up to the door with her that day and said it to me, even though Jane was, you know, nine or ten years old, she was able to tell me herself, is because she had been so scared, Jane had been so scared to show me that piece, to ask to learn something specific that was, you know, a pop song, I think it was from a film or something, that she hadn't done it. And her mom had been saying, did you ask her today? You know, after every lesson, and she was saying, oh no, oh no, I'll do it later, you know. So eventually Jane's mom says, right, I'm going to do it for you. So that is the perception we can give students. And I actually doubt that Jane's former teacher said, you may never learn a pop song, right? It was probably just implied. So when we have studios that are close to certain genres, that's the impression we can give, even if we don't explicitly say it. And it sends the wrong message about what music is and what different types of music mean. So what does this look like then? What does an open studio look like? To me, it means that you improvise from the very first lessons. That's one of my core principles of running this type of studio, is that I want students to know right away that music is not just written on a page. It doesn't mean I need them to do some amazing solo improvisation riffs. I'm talking about basic stuff here. Me playing a simple chord progression and them improvising on the black keys in the first lesson. That's important. That sends a message that we're open to making our own music, that that's one of the avenues that you can explore. It also means that my studio does composing projects every year so that students compose their own pieces. We do, you know, shorter ad hoc things as well, but they compose at least one proper full piece every year that we put together in a book. And that sends the message that they can also write music, that they have the tools to do that. It also teaches them a huge amount about theory and everything, but in terms of an open studio, it sends that message that they can do this too. That music that we play in piano is not just written by old, dead, white guys, right? It's important that they know that. We also play from lead sheets. Again, roughly once a year we'll do some kind of project that's related to lead sheets, so could be Christmas music, could be happy birthday variations we're working on at the moment, could be lots of things. But something that's based on that format, so that when they encounter that later, if they do, they play in a band, if they play with a guitarist, they're going to go, oh yeah, I know how to basically interpret that. I'm not talking about giving them amazing skills in this area, unless that's something that they end up wanting to explore more later. But I am talking about them being able to vamp along in a basic way with a band with a singer, in the way that a guitarist can in their first few months of learning guitar. So many pianists, 10 years into lessons, can't do that, and that's terrible. They should be able to, but if they don't have the knowledge, if they're intimidated by the format, that can stand in the way. 
I also want my students to get to experience ensemble playing, playing with other people. Pianists too often don't get the chance for, to do this. And so that's one of the many reasons why I love teaching in buddy lessons in my studio, overlapping lessons, because we have this natural opportunity for them to improvise together and play written duets together. And I also get them together for group workshops so that they can play in bigger groups as well. This is important for developing so many other skills, but it also sends this message again that we're open to this style of playing, that this is something you can do too, that this is something you can explore as a musician. Having an open studio, though, goes beyond the formats and the, you know, little boxes of music that we like to explore. It also means that I give them choices, that as I'm developing their musicianship skills and their technique, their technical skills, I'm also gradually developing their ability to find music that they love, that they're passionate about, and to explore it. And so as students go through their studies, especially as they get older, I'm consciously providing opportunities for them to make choices about their music. Once they pass the beginner level, I believe it's important that they have some choice in their repertoire. And if they have choice in a small portion of it, or a half of it, they don't mind learning whatever I want in the other half, right? It's not even about compromise. They don't even think of it like that. It's not a little bit of this for this. It's all great music. It all has something that it can teach you, and it all has something to connect to. And so when students reach a level where I think we could introduce some supplementary music, I always send a list to their parents or to them directly if they're older and of YouTube playlists or places where they can listen to the tracks, whatever is appropriate to that particular book, for several books and say, okay, listen to these, take your time, pick the one you're most excited to learn. And they might surprise you. Some students will go for the classical option. Some will go for the pop. Some will be quiet, seemingly introverted types, and they'll go for this mad rock piece. That's great. They're showing you what they really want to learn. And they're showing you that they can appreciate music in a wide variety of genres, right? They're learning to do that. At the same time, and especially at the younger level, I'm giving them listening activities, listening tasks in a wide variety of musical styles. So that they're not pigeonholing themselves into the music that they choose from that list. They're also exploring tons of other stuff. And also as they get older, I'm asking for requests. It's important to actually ask for the requests, and we'll talk about this more in the next episode actually, but requesting requests is an important part of being a teacher who, who appreciates their musical tastes, right? And who wants them to learn what they want to learn based on their goals as a musician. So that's a little bit of a taste of what it means to me to be an open studio, to open every door for my students. There may be things on that list that you don't want to include. There may be things on that list that are not on that list that you do want to include, that you're thinking, why didn't you mention this? If so, let me know about them. I would love to hear about it, or I would love to hear if you're more of a specialist studio and this does not describe you at all. If that's you, embrace that identity and own it fully. We need both types. We need both things to be out there. 
but we need people to understand what they are so that they can thoroughly provide what they say they're providing, right? We don't want to sound like a generous studio, but actually close our students off to huge portions of what it means to be a musician, to huge opportunities for musicians for making music in the long term. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Share them with me over in the Vibrant Music Studio Teachers group, and I'll chat to you there. Bye for now. I talked a lot about improvisation in this episode, and if you need help making improvisation work for you, actually do the work for you, then we have tons of courses to help you do that inside Vibrant Music Teaching. If you're not a member yet, you can sign up at vmt.ninja, and I'll see you inside. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Vibrant Music Teaching Podcast. I hope you loved it and I wanted to pop on here one more time to remind you about our event. It's happening in Cincinnati this July and you can get all the details at vibrantmusicteaching.com slash turbo. See you there.